guys, welcome to the show. This is going to be a really fun podcast with my friend Brian Rimza. He's going to do a little Utah elk recap, and then he's going to tell us about his Montana uh, moose hunt, uh, quite the adventure. Uh, before we get to that, guys, I want to thank you for tuning into this podcast. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to, if you have any questions or comments or anything you want to talk to me about, chat with me about, questions, what have you, uh, just send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also go to my Instagram, which is at jscottoutdoors. Send me a direct message. And I just thank you for all of the support that you guys give and the interaction that you guys give on, on my Instagram account. I uh, also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, The Gear Shop, my friend Cody Nelson, 20-plus years. He's the optics manager over there. If you guys have any binoculars, spotting scope, tripods, uh, range finders, anything to do with glassing, any optical needs at all, uh, give Cody a call. He's going to give you a great deal. He gives all the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners a great deal. You can reach him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him an email directly at optics at gohunt.com. I uh, want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship. You can find out more about Kuyu. Go to kuiu.com. Uh, you can also tune into my Instagram storyboard. I'm about three times a week answering questions from uh, podcast listeners and Instagram followers and a bunch of questions come in about Kuyu gear. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. Also, PhoneScope. Uh, phonescope.com. If you go there and use the jscott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, and onxmaps.com. You're going to hear Brian talk about Onyx Maps. Using Onyx Maps, I use them every day. Uh, love the features on Onyx Maps. Go to onxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code. You're going to save 20%. Guys, let's get right to this episode with Brian Rims and have some fun. All right, guys, this is going to be a fun episode. We've got my friend Brian Rimza. Brian just got back from a Montana moose hunt. He also had an elk hunt in Utah with his dad. Uh, Brian, it's good to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Jay. It's good to be back. It's uh, been a busy month of September for sure, so it's uh, time to do some recapping. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, this moose, what an adventure. I'm excited to get into that. Before we talk about that, uh, you had kind of had your eggs in the basket this year of, you know, you and your dad drew Utah tags and we're going to go Utah elk hunting. Uh, and then you found out and were really surprised about drawing this Montana moose tag. But let's talk about the Utah tag first. How'd that go? Utah was a blast. Uh, my dad and I had 12 points, so we were pretty much, I mean, there was like a 3 or 4% chance we weren't going to draw, but we were pretty much guaranteed to draw um, the, month, or the, uh, sorry, the Utah elk tag in the Wasatch. And uh, we had set up, we are going to hunt some private land over there with uh, Wasatch, Wasatch Hunts, which is Brett Simonson, and he's a, or Simonson, he's a, Obviously, a good friend of ours, you know, through Breck Bundy and the NBA crew, they've got a pretty big piece of property over there with a lot of elk, and uh, so that was kind of going to be the hunt of the year for uh, for Dad and I. You know, Dad really his goal is to to hunt. He really wants to hunt uh, elk every year. It doesn't matter necessarily where. It doesn't have to be the biggest bulls, but he he just something he loves to do, and so that was kind of our plan this year was to go on that hunt and. Uh, 
just see what we can do. So you pretty much knew that if you put in with those points you were going to draw, it was just a matter of getting it set up and being able to hunt that property you wanted to hunt. Um, how was the Wasatch as far as the bugling and, and you know, the experience, uh, you know, how was that? Um, it was it was awesome. Like, the Wasatch, you know, where we were hunting, mind you, because Utah does some things, uh, what I would consider super backward. I think you experienced it on your trophy hunt, but, I mean, they give out a very limited number of archery, you know, bull tags in, in their trophy units, and then you have all these spike and cow archery hunters that are running around in the woods and all these deer hunters running around. So it's just there's a lot of things going on. I mean, I was thankful to be hunting private because the public looks amazing, but there's just a lot of people, and, you know, the elk are pretty harassed. But uh, that, that piece of property over there that Brett has and his family's had, I think, for a little over 30 years now is absolutely amazing. I mean, we're first evening out, we're glassing a big kind of meadow with a bunch of wallows and a pond in it, and just, I don't know, there's probably 70 or 80 elk in the middle of that meadow just going crazy, and the plan was automatically the next day was to put my dad in there that afternoon and on the wall that we were watching a bull hammer and uh, we ended up doing that and you know he ended up killing a bull the second afternoon off that wall i mean i no sooner did he get in there and the elk were just running down there to him so i mean it was pretty uh, pretty cool deal so did you get to watch so the plan was like get your dad a bull first and then you'd kind of hunt so did you were you sitting with your dad or did you watch with binoculars or how did it go down there's like four wallows spread out over about 400 yards and so my dad sat kind of the farthest what we thought was the best one and then i sat another one about 200 yards away so i got to watch all the elk run down out of the trees to him and then get into the wallow we almost didn't uh brett and i got him set up in there and we almost didn't get out of there i mean we were literally setting him up and i look up and here comes three cows running down the hill you know coming in and fortunately for us they didn't stay very long and they just came in and then got out of there so that was that was always good but uh i mean literally we got them set up and they they were on us and came in and it was it was quick and then you got to hunt yourself. Tell me about that. Yeah, I hunted myself. Um, got on a chase, a real good bull that was a big six point. Ended up getting on him and uh, getting a shot at him on the third evening. And everything looked good. I thought I smoked him. And then we ended up turning him up. We trailed him that night and then let him leave, let him lie, and then came back the next morning and trailed him up again. And man, he. Uh, he kept going on us and we finally uh turned him up and uh when we turned him up he was still bugling and raking trees and he had my arrow in him and it was just it, i shot him high and uh just kind of a heartbreaking deal and we got back on him that night and i should have killed him that night just a quick opportunity through some aspens and uh i just shot over top of him again i i had a tough time on the elk hunt this year shooting high and I, I kind of run through my head trying to figure out, like, what the heck am I doing wrong? Because, you know, I mean, it's just not something I expect to have happen on a regular basis, but uh, it did. And, uh, you know, I ended up kind of equating it to shooting. I shoot at, like, a, a small to medium-sized deer target when I practice, and it's a Glendale buck target, and I come from the top down, and 
when you're shooting, you know, 60, 70 yards on those targets and you come from the top down, you only have to come down into the target about three inches, four inches, and you're in the middle of the body while on an elk, you got to come down 10 inches. And I just kind of failed to, to recognize that. The good news is that bull lived. I mean, he's, he's fine. He'll live to see another day. Just made a poor hit, you know, and I mean, it, I thought that night when I shot him watching the Luminoc hit him and I just thought he was smoked and it just happened to catch that spot, you know, what I would say below the spine and above the lungs it just didn't catch anything that did any damage for me and so it just kind of hurt me. I've seen a lot of bulls hit there and, you know, to hear that you find him and he's bugling and just carrying on, I've seen a lot of bulls hit there, um, kind of no man's land and the funny thing is it looks pretty good a lot of times um you even sent me a little video i mean it looks good it's just just above the lungs um you talk about settling in on your pin and i mean looking forward will you switch to more of a full-size elk target or will you just be a little more conscious of um your release point you know and, and making sure you're anchored more in the center or even the lower third um of the body I think I'll just pay more attention to where I'm aiming. Um, you know, when I will get to it on the moose, you know, I really took my time aiming on my moose and, and making sure I was making a good shot and making sure I was in the right part of the body when I turned it loose because obviously on a moose, you know, it's a lot bigger than an elk and a lot bigger than a deer target. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that happened to all of us. I mean, it was heartbreaking to have it happen on a really good bull, um, you know, and... <laughs> It's just not something I would have expected to have happen, but it did. You know, I mean, yeah. basically, archery hunting a lot of times is a game of inches. And, man, this September, I was just kind of on the wrong side of those game of inches <laughs> a couple of times. And it just bit me. But, you know, I've had those seasons before. It's just been a long time since I've had one like that. And it's tough. I mean, literally, four inches one direction, and that elk is dead. And, you know, but that's that, that happens, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of bow hunting. It's it's a game of inches, and like you said, you get on the wrong side of that. It happens to everyone. Um, you know, for the guys out there listening, I mean, Brian routinely is one of the Arizona's best archers. I mean, competitive archery, competitive 3D shooting. I mean, it, so when I hear stuff like that, it, it, it almost makes me have a little bit of hope to know that someone that shoots as well as you you do, um, you know, doesn't hit hit the exact spot he wants to hit every time. So um, I think we can all learn from that. And I think if you had if you had it to do over again and could just settle in a little bit more, I mean, I think it's a dead bull. Um, so your dad's pumped. He's got his bull. You guys get back from Utah. And then kind of your preparation for Montana, you had already gone up there scouting. Talk a little bit about kind of the journey of drawing that moose tag. Um, you know, that, that's a pretty special tag. Yeah, Montana, you know, honestly, I have, didn't have any expectations of drawing a moose tag. You know, um, I put in in just about all the western states. And, you know, right now, being that I'm 38 years old, I my goal is to go on one good hunt a year. So a lot of the hunts like Montana and places like that, I'll, I'll look at hunting fools recommendations. I'll look at go hunts recommendations. I'll look at, uh, Epic outdoors recommendations. Cause of course I'm a member of all of them because I got to look at the stats. I like the numbers. I like to see what people have to say. And I always put in for the best hunts because I'm young and you know, I've got some time. And so I put in for 
It's 331.50, which is commonly referred to as the Ruby River uh, drainage. It's kind of, I would call it south-central Montana. It's about an hour and 20 minutes west of Bozeman and south, and then it's about 45 minutes east of uh, Dillon, Montana. And you're hunting basically the west side of the Gravelly Range and then the entire Snowcrest Range. And so, I mean, you draw the tag like that, and I look at it, and I'm like, holy smokes, you know. So first got to check and make sure, like, what hunt it is that I drew, kind of figure out where it's at, um, send some text messages out to some people. You know, there's eight permits in that hunt, and there's one non-resident tag. And because there's only eight, it rotates every other year typically to where they won't even offer a non-resident tag. So, you know... I posted on social media that I drew the tag and, you know, you saw it. And fortunately for me, you put it out to, you know, your viewers, your listeners and stuff like that. And um, a guy named Heath Hansen contacted me and contacted you. And, you know, Heath lives in Twin Bridges, which is about 45 minutes to an hour north of my unit. And, man, he was just a wealth of information right off the get-go. So, I mean, we started talking and, I mean, he reminds me of, you know, he had all the information on his on this spot for moose like I would have on spots in Arizona to share with somebody. And so he kind of got me dialed in. I mean, the biggest thing when you're hunting, I had three big mountain ranges that I could hunt for moose. And, you know, it's obviously you're limited on time in the aspect of it's a 16-hour drive to get up there. And the hunt's long. The hunt goes from September 15th to December 1st. And my goal was to hunt during the rut, and then people said I could come back uh, once the leaves fell off the aspens and stuff, and it would make it a, and and the willows and stuff would make it a lot easier to see some of these moose if if it came to that. So obviously the goal is to try and figure out where are you going to spend your time, because there's no way I can cover the entire unit. And so fortunate for me, Heath lined me out in about six or eight drainages to spend my time. And he told me what he thought was the best drainage. And um, so that's kind of where I started my efforts and start focused my time. Uh, I also contacted Robert Hanneman with Hunt and Fool. And Robert spent a bunch of time in there, and he got me dialed in. And fortunately for me, Robert's recommendations were pretty much the same as Heath's. And uh, so I felt like I was in pretty good hands, getting pretty well dialed in. Because anybody who knows much about hunting Shiris Moose, and hunting on public land, it can be a grind. It can be a 20, 30-day adventure, depending on where you're at and what you're hunting. And so I had set some time aside after doing all my legwork, you know, on Google Earth and checking these locations on Onyx and then talking to the game biologist and talking to uh, another hunter that Heath's buddy's dad had had the tag in 2017 and he killed a big old moose. And just getting all the information, I talked to Heath and I said, hey, if I fly out to Montana in August, is there some time that you can spend a day with me and drive me around and kind of show me where I'm looking at and stuff like that? And he was gracious enough to do it. So my dad and I flew out to Montana. And, man, Montana in August is beautiful. It'll, never make, it'll make you never want to come home. The place is amazing. Yeah. And uh, everybody's super nice. And so we kind of... Went out and drove around. The first night we got there, my dad and I drove around and uh, checked things out and saw a bunch of, actually saw like a handful of moose, but they're all on private property where I couldn't hunt. And 
there's a lady and her husband and wife that owns a, a place called Upper Canyon Outfitters, and they predominantly do trout fishing trips, and uh, they have a stream right out the back of their place. It's an amazing setup, amazing lodge, and I had talked to her on the phone because I knew they had horses, and they would help me get a moose out um, because, obviously, it's a big endeavor, and I, I, you know, you're still working on who's going to go with you on these hunts because, you know, usually you can get people to go for a week, and my plan was to go for 14 days, and so I knew there might be a chance that I'd be hunting by myself on some of that time, and obviously I'd need some help. So the first thing we did is we rolled into Jake and Donna's place at Upper Canyon, and Donna's just a super nice lady. I mean, everybody in Montana is amazing, always super nice. And, you know, Donna meets us there. It's like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and she's just, you know, talking to us about the moose and everything. And she's like, hey, I just had a big uh, party cancel if you want to stay here, you know, I'll give you a great deal. And so I was like, heck yeah, I jumped at the opportunity of that because when you're driving that far, you know, it's hard to take a full camp, take a buggy with you and get everybody there. And so, and to have just a warm place to stay where I didn't have to set everything up and I knew that she'd be helping me get my moose out. So we jumped at that opportunity and that turned out to be a sweet setup for us. I mean, because we got there in a freaking blizzard. And not having to set up a wall tent in a blizzard was was uh, definitely a nice uh, a nice feature, to say the least. Yeah. But Dad and I drove around and went to the first drainage that night after talking to Donna that Heath had told me to go to. And literally, we drove to the end of the road, and I'm glassing and immediately glassed up a moose, a cow and a calf right away. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a good sign. So the next day, Heath met us, and we drove around. He showed us all the unit and everywhere we were going to go and things we were going to do. And kind of showed me some glassing spots. I mean, he got me dialed in. Like, I knew day one where I was going to start, and then I would figure it out from there. And I knew if I got the right group of guys together, which to go with me, we could hammer it out and figure it out. Because, I mean, it's not like we're looking for a coos deer. We're looking for a moose, which is a pretty big animal. And so got that all squared away and pretty set up and kind of solidified my plant. And I was able to commandeer Matt Cutlip to go with me and uh, I don't some of you guys have heard of Matt or know Matt and Matt when Matt and I get together we things usually die uh, it just tends to be good trips the last hunt we did together was 2014 and he killed 176 inch desert ram down in the Cabeza Prietas and then he was with me along with you in 2013 when I shot my my Rocky in 6A so I mean we we have a pretty good track record and along with Matt I was able to commandeer Nick Fisher from uh Arizona Bow Hunters Association to go with me, and so I felt like I had a pretty solid team for a week of hunting in uh, in Montana. If nothing else, I knew we were going to have a hell of a good time. So, with that being said, go ahead. Sounds like it. Yeah, you've got the A team set up, and um, now it's just a matter of the hunt. The hunt date's got to start, and you got to you know you got to get done with your elk hunt and get up there, right?
There you go. Sorry, dude. I'm back. No problem. No problem. No. So now you just got to get through your elk hunt, and then uh, you guys decided on your dates, and off you went. Yeah, the goal, obviously, is trying to figure out when the best time to, to go on the rut is. And so the general consensus was somewhere around the last week of September and the first two weeks of October. So I, my goal with my work schedule and everything was to go set, start up there on September 30th and uh, hunt from there. And so we, we got through the elk hunt, had a good time. Uh, everything went as planned, and other than I didn't kill a bull that I wanted to kill. But uh, now it was back to work for two weeks and then off to Montana with the boys. And so we, uh, we actually left on September 29th. We left to go to Montana. It was a 16-hour drive. We left my house in Phoenix at 3 a.m. and ended up pulling in to Upper Canyon Outfitters at about 8.30 p.m. So it was a long haul, but everything went smooth. Um, truck was good. Everything was good. We knew we were getting some weather because Montana got that crazy early storm. And fortunate for us, most of that storm stayed north of where we were at. We did get snow, but, I mean, we didn't get 50 inches of snow. And weather was cold, but, you know, 25 to 30 degrees is what we were dealing with. So it wasn't unbearable. And we didn't have really any wind, which made it nice. So we rolled in, yeah, I'm here. We rolled into camp, got everything set, and uh, the goal was to start where I had seen the moose on uh, that trip with my dad, and that was the place that everyone had kind of told us where to go, and I had I had put some pins out on Google Earth and then transferred over to Onyx, and so we drove up to the trailhead, and it was just socked in. We didn't have really snow or or rain or anything, but it was just fogged in. We couldn't see far at all. So we sat in the truck for about two hours, and in between the fog coming through and and moving off, we got out of the truck, and we would glass into the drainage a little bit when we could. And we glassed up a cow and a calf right from the truck, glassed up a herd of elk. And finally, after about two, two and a half hours, the weather kind of cleared off a little bit. And so we pushed up into the, this country about a mile and a half to a point where I wanted to blast from. And, I'm, you know, as oftentimes is, sometimes when you're dealing with forests and trees, the Google Earth look of it is not quite exactly the look that, you're, that you see when you get there. But it wasn't as good of a glassing point as we thought it was going to be, but it was pretty – we were able to make it work, and we had to move a little bit here and there to see through the trees. And, man, we're sitting there, got to the spot, sitting there glassing for about – five or ten minutes, and Matt and Nick spot a cow, a cow moose that's bedded. And I was like, there's got to be a bull because it's the rut. And, I, I mean, I had been getting some intel from some people that were there hunting, and um, Robert Hanneman had hooked me up with uh, a guy named Corey who was actually there elk hunting, and Corey was sending me some intel on some moose that he had seen. Unfortunately, the moose were just out of my unit, which didn't help, didn't work for me on that stuff. But uh, we knew they were starting to rut pretty good, and, so I told the boys, I'm like, there's got to be a freaking bull there. So we started picking around, and sure enough, I picked up a bull bedded about 40 yards, 40 yards from the cow. And the bull, the way the bull was oriented, I could only see the top of his palm. And, you know, in, in 
talking to people and looking at different moose and getting different pictures from people. You know, the goal here is to shoot a bull that's over 40 inches and you're looking for pretty decent palms with some points. And one of the big things is, is having at least two, at least two, possibly three brow tines. And I couldn't see, I could see the top of the palm. I could see it was good and I could see he had really long distinct points coming off the top of his palm. So I was like, you know, that was a promising look. And every once in a while he'd move his head and I could see that he had a really long front, but I couldn't tell if it was one or two or how long it was. And the bull was only 600 yards away. And so I... Is there snow on the ground? Yeah, there's about six inches of fresh powder. So, I mean, he looks like a friggin' elephant laying out there probably, doesn't he? Yeah, you I mean, you're, you're definitely... There's no mistaking it's a, it's a moose. For sure. <laughs> and so after about 20 minutes, I, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? Like, this is a big, this looks like a big bull. I need to get closer while he's laying there. And so I drop in and, you know, it's pretty easy to get within about 120 yards of him. And then I get into like a willow thicket and this moose, you know, I can't see him. I know he's there. Uh, Montana, you can't use radio, so, I mean, I can look back up at the guys, and I, I know the bull is still there, but we can't talk to each other or communicate. And so I start grunting, doing my best impersonation of Bullwinkle because, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of experience other than YouTube of uh, calling moose. And so I had a – I ordered, a, like, a moose, um, like, tube-type thing from – an Alaskan company, and, you know, I could sound okay. And so I started grunting and did it for about 30 minutes and never got a response. So finally I said, you know, I'm just going to start grunting and start seeing, what I, like, what I see Jim Shockey do on TV and start raking trees and walking up toward this bull. And so I start walking up toward this bull just slowly grunting, and then I'm the uh, the call is made of, like, a hard resin, and so I'm... I'm uh, raking it on trees and stuff like that and I go about 50 60 yards and I look up and I can see the bull looking at me now and he's like 60 yards away and so I just keep doing it and slowly working my way up and I'm trying to pick some sort of a shooting lane because I got a bunch of these little willows that are just like you know one inch wide diameter saplings but they're like six feet tall trying to figure some sort of an opening through these willows and so I get to about what I think is about, you know, 35 yards from this bull, and he steps out into my opening, and I'm like, okay, well, this is it. And I'm trying to range him as much as and get a range on him, and I'm clicking and clicking and clicking, and it's telling me 27 yards, 28 yards, 27 yards, and I'm like, I know it's not 27 or 28 yards for sure. And so I finally am like, I mean, a lot of times I've been in the situation, and you, you kind of just have to go with what your gut tells you on a yardage and just make a good shot. And I figured he was 35 yards and, you know, aimed there behind the shoulder and turned it loose. And I, instantly I saw the arrow went low, but it was like right at the bottom of the chest and I couldn't see the bottom of his chest. And I, so I wasn't sure if it had hit him or just a clean miss. And the bull moved off about 20 yards and it was standing there. So I start working into him again. And he finally has had enough and he kind of moves off with his cows. And so I go up to where he was standing, and I've got good blood on the ground, like like decent blood. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe this shot's a little better than I thought. 
and I'm shooting a Luminoc, but I couldn't see the arrow sticking in the bull, and so I go back to where I, the bull was standing, and I can find where he was standing, but I can't find my arrow, and unbeknownst to me, I look up on the hill, and I can't see Matt and Nick, and so I'm thinking that they are on their way down to me to help out, because, I mean, they're only 600 yards away. I figured that they could see, you know, whatever happened, that it was a low shot or whatever, and so... I give it about an hour waiting for Matt and Nick, and they don't uh, they don't come down. So now I figure, okay, they probably went around the hill trying to pick this bull up as he ran off, and they don't know I hit him, and I have no way to communicate with him. So I start trailing the bull, and, it, you know, it's six inches of fresh powder on the ground. So, I mean, it's really easy to trail. And the first 200 yards, I find three spots of blood that are like the size of a 12- or 18-inch pie plate, that are somewhat promising. I mean, they look like good blood. And so I'm thinking, you know, feeling a little more confident with the shot, and I'm hoping that maybe I, you know, I caught a little higher than I thought. Well, I ended up trailing it. I shot the bull. It was probably like 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I ended up trailing the bull all the way down the canyon. And we ended up crossing the, the drainage. And, I mean, I can... I can see where the water dripped off his hide in the snow on the opposite side of the drainage. So, like, I'm not far behind him, but, I mean, it's a moose, and if he just keeps walking, he can stay out ahead of me. And I start going up the other side of the drainage, and I get about halfway up, and I look up, and I can see two cows. And I'm looking around trying to find the bull because the cows were with the bull, and, you know, their tracks never split, and they stayed together. And they just kind of move off, and so I keep trailing these little drops of blood now. I mean, we're talking like little, you know, pinpoint drops of blood. And so I trail it up to right where the cows were at and right where the cows were standing, and part of me starts to wonder, like, I know the moose are in heat right now, or they're in the rut or whatever you want to call it, and I'm wondering, I start to think to myself, am I trailing a moose that is, like, in heat and this is just little droplets of blood that I would never normally be able to see from a, from a female moose that's, like, in heat? Because I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just know that a dog, when a dog goes into heat, you know, they bleed. And so I kind of mess with my head a little bit, and I end up getting almost to the top to where I can see down to the truck, and I walk out. To that edge after I GPS it and I can see that Matt and Nick are down at the truck so I GPS it and I bail off and go back to Matt and Nick and I tell them kind of what's going on and they're like well let's let's go back to where you started so we can see these drops of blood because I thought that maybe like I turned off the wrong trail and we're still wondering like is it possible that I'm trailing a cow moose like because it was really small right. drops of blood and it sounds crazy but like sometimes your mind just kind of starts messing with you a little bit. And I'm thinking that's got to be highly unlikely, but it's just like, I don't know. Well, as we start to hike back into where I shot the bull, um, it starts blizzard, like dumping snow on us. I mean, like thick, heavy snow. So we get over to where I shot him and the snow stops, but I mean, it's laid another three inches of snow on top of what was already there. And I'm able to show them kind of like the one good spot of blood that I can find again and 
we start doing everything we can to kind of crisscross back and forth, seeing if maybe like we missed something and we can't turn anything up and it's starting to get dark now. And, you know, one of the things I, I guess I didn't mention leading up to this hunt, like the week before I got to Montana, there were four different hunters attacked by grizzly bears and they were literally in drainages that we were hunting. And so we're like, you know, we finally are all pretty exhausted and we're like, all right, we're just going to push back to the truck and we'll come pick this back up in the morning. So we go back to camp or back to the, the you know, um, upper Canyon outfitters and I'm able to get a hold of a, a biologist and he's like, yeah, moose do not, female moose don't bleed. You're definitely trailing your bull. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that like puts that to rest. So we get up in the morning and the decision is made to go back to where I last had the bull's blood and the nice thing about where i had him is that it was in the timber so the so the new snow didn't really affect it as much and so we get over there and it's kind of on the same route that we're going to the glassing spot so i tell nick i said hey why don't you go up to the glassing spot and keep glassing and then we're going to start trailing this bull matt and i are going to trail this bull and see where he takes us and so Nick pushes up, and we, we get on the tracks, and literally from where we split, it's only like 150 yards from where I last had the blood. And so the bull keeps going up and going up and going literally right to where Nick is going to glass. And all of a sudden, we get out of the trees into some open sage stuff, and there's a set of moose tracks like moving down back the direction that we came from. And so I trail it out for about 15, 20 yards, and the tracks are fresh, like, from the morning. And lo and behold, it's the bull that we're trailing because I find some blood. And so we start trailing him, and he's literally going back over his tracks, down the canyon, almost back the direction that he was going. And we can now hear a bull across the canyon grunting. Wow. And so we follow him. And we get just about to the to the creek bottom, and there's a big old moose scrape. I mean, and it's our bull, like big, like so. Take a whitetail scrape, or take like an elk wallow, and they just scrape and pee. And moose pee smells like cat cat pee like crazy. It stinks. And so we're like, all right, this bull is probably not hurt to the point where. And is he, there any blood in that at all? No, there's no blood in it at all, but I mean, like, as soon as he leaves and we get on his tracks again, we can find little, you know, little drops. But mind you, I hit him low in the chest, so the blood doesn't have to run very far. Right. And so we make a decision. We're like, this bull is going. Like, we can hear the bull grunting, and we know he's going right back to where I shot him from, or back to where he was at when I shot him. And we know we have a good vantage where Nick is at to at least look into that country so we make the decision to pull out and go back up to where Nick is at. And so we, it takes us about an, I don't know, an hour and we get over to Nick and literally as we get to Nick, he's like, Hey, your bull's right there. And, and as soon as he says, I look up and I can see the bull with my naked eyes, 495 yards away. And he's got four cows that are bedded. And Nick's like, I've been watching him for like two hours and he, he, the bull won't lay down. Like, he's just standing there. Like, all the cows have la- been laid down for, like, two hours, and he just won't lay down at all. And so, at that point, I just made the decision because I had, you know, part, I think part of it had to do with the fact that, you know, 
I'd wounded an elk in Utah. Here I had shot up a moose, and it was a good moose. And, you know, I wounded this moose, and I'm like, you know what? I just got to put this moose down. I'm not, you know, I love bow hunting, and, you know, I had a chance to kill this bull with a bow, and I'm, you know, I let it slip through, to slip by. But, I mean, I don't want to let this moose go because, I mean, I'm still not 100% sure how hard this moose is hit, you know what I mean? But I don't want a good moose that I hit to die, to die and me not to be able to at least tag him and claim him. Right. So, of course, anybody who knows Matt and Nick knows that those guys are freaking long-range nuts, so they both have rifles with them because they were hoping to get a crack at a wolf, and Matt gets me set up with his 280 Ackley, and the bull's 495, and, you know, I get I, we have, like, a perfect shooting bench, just a natural shooting bench there for us, and I get laid down prone, and we get all the phone scope cameras rolling, and the bull is standing there with his butt toward us, and almost, you know, once we get everything set up, almost on cue, the bull turns perfectly broadside. And I shoot, and I hit him, and he lunges a little bit farther forward, and I hit him again, and now he's in a really, like, a nice open spot, and I, you know, and he's still, he's going to go down, but, I, you know, my thing with a big animal like that, they can get you in a bad spot, and so I put another one in him and end up putting him down, and, you know, now, I mean, we're all super excited, you know, this is, we know, now, this is my first good look at the bull, and I could see that he had two really good brow tines. He had eight points on each palm. He's a really good bull. And so we're just, you know, super excited, and obviously we're all like, okay, well, you know, now the, now the work is going to begin. <laughs> and so fortunate for inreaches, um, you know, I'm able, I have an inreach, so I'm able to text text uh, Donna at Upper Canyon, let her know that we killed a bull and let her know where we're at and ask her to send us, you know, send the horses in to give us some help. And we're, it's a pretty easy spot to find. So we're able to walk back to a trail, put all our gear that we don't need on the trail. And then there's a, a fork off that trail that literally goes right down below the bull. And so we, we end up getting to the bull and I mean, he's, everything that we expect. I mean, he's a big old awesome bull. We get some, you know, really good pictures, and now we start breaking this thing down. And I mean, you know, I don't know. I've never seen a Yukon moose on the ground, and I know they're a lot bigger, but after seeing a Shirus moose on the, on the ground, man, those guys that kill Yukon bulls not next to a river or something like that, man, you guys are animals. It's crazy. Those things are so freaking big. And so we get the bull broke down, you know, we do the gutless method, get everything broke down. It takes us about two hours, two and a half hours to get it all taken care of. And right about that time, we see, I can hear people talking, and I look down and I can see three people walking, and we're expecting horses. And it turns out to be three packers, which are some of the elk guides from upper canyon that came in to help us out and their um the road i guess was too muddy so they didn't feel comfortable bringing a horse trailer in or bringing horses in there so our day got a little bit longer but i mean with the three of them <laughs> with the three of them helping us uh we uh we made the most of it and you know they were they were great help it ended up being two ladies and a, a gentleman that came in to help us and i mean they all were able to pull their weight and we were able to get the moose uh, up to the trail junction, which was about 800 yards from where we killed him, and it was the only uphill pull. 
And so we got all, it took two trips to get the moose to that spot, and then it took us two trips out and back to get the moose from there to the trucks. And, uh, you know, as a team, we worked on it together, and, you know, we did a, did a really good job. And, I mean, it, we, we made it back to the trucks with our last load before it got dark, which was uh, pretty impressive because all of us were thinking there's no way we're getting out of here before dark. Did you see any grizzly tracks at all? No, we saw some black bear tracks, um, but we never saw any grizzly tracks. Um, they had kind of an interesting deal up there that was kind of crazy. They had in like July, actually I think it was August, late August, they ended up having like 13 cows die because they ate some sort of a poisonous weed. And at one point in time, I think they said there were 20 bears on those 13 cows. And so it just put an influx of bears into the area in a high concentration. And then they ended up having two groups of elk hunters on the archery elk hunt that got attacked by what they think might be the same bear in the same drainage. Or actually, it was one drainage um, to the south of us that we were hunting. And then, like, a week later... A guy was uh, coming over a log. Actually, no. They, a guy had shot like a black bear, and a grizz came in and got got a hold of them a little bit and got them roughed up. And then a couple days later, a guy stepped over a stepped up on a log to step over a log and some deadfall, and there was a freaking bear sleeping on the other side of it. And the bear reached up and grabbed a hold of his boot and his leg, but he was able to get a couple rounds in that bear. But as far as I know, none of the bears, um, none of the bears were killed. But they all, a couple of them took some, took some lead or something like that. I know at least one of them took lead, but uh, we didn't have any issues with bears. But it was definitely, a, definitely something that was on your concern, you know, on your concern list for sure. That's an unreal adventure, um, and that bull turned out to be a heck of a bull, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I green scored him at like 153 gross and 147 net. I mean, he was 43 and a half inches wide, just really good, you know, representative species of it. And, uh, you know, I showed him to, he's got to see him in person. And he's like, man, like, I don't, I don't know that you could pass the bull like this. I, I don't know that anyone will kill one bigger, you know, this year at least, you know. And so there are bigger ones out there, absolutely. But for where I was at and for a Shiris Moose, from everything I know about it, it seems like it's a, a really, really good bull. That's incredible. Wow. How many pounds of meat did you get? I got just over 400 pounds of meat. I got 300 pounds of just burger. Um, so one of the cool things about it is I was able to go to a meat processor in Ennis, Montana, and it's called Demos, and he was able to process my bull in a day and a half and get it frozen so I could start the drive back home. And I'll tell you what, you know, just like we always do, I took a box freezer with me, and that was a saving grace, man, to be able to put that meat in that box freezer on the way home. Obviously, it didn't all fit in there, but the stuff that was so frozen solid that I was able to put it in, you know, one of the insulated coolers and get it all the way home without any of the issues and stuff like that. Just, Montana's amazing, man. That place, some of the most amazing country I've ever seen. And just, I tell you, it, it reminds you, of, if you can get the right group of guys to go somewhere and you can get some good information from, you know, some local knowledge, man, if you got time, you can make it happen. It just, 
so the hunt is so it's so fun when you go on a hunt like that with just buddies and you make it happen and i mean you know i i think it as long as you do your homework man you can really get after it and you know put something great down on the ground and i mean we never saw we hardly ever saw another hunter like the only other hunters i saw was uh Corey, who is um the guy that robert hanneman had put me in touch with who was actually up there hunting and i mean they had a rough elk hunt but he was the only other guy i saw him and his crew and man you know we didn't see any other moose hunters or anybody even in the field and thankfully for us the week after we left it was i think last week on wednesday it was three degrees for the low and 23 for the high yeah you send a couple of three desert rats up there when it's three degrees it would not be quite as fun would it no i mean that's 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 a that's next level cold right there i mean and i don't know how well we would have handled that but i mean we had some pretty nice days i mean the day that i shot my moose it was beautiful it was you know hardly any wind we had some good sunshine no snow i mean it was just a an awesome awesome day um to be out in the field and i mean had some good help and got that thing out of there i tell you as a guy from arizona one of the things you know you're worried about these bears and so you're kind of figure trying to figure out like how am i going to protect myself with a bear like are you going to carry a bear spray are you going to carry a pistol what pistol are you going to carry because everybody says you need to carry a freaking hand cannon which i mean that means you're carrying like 15 pounds on your chest how are you going to mount it and i tell you one of the things i found that was super helpful is uh Jim Graham over at Marsupial Gear makes a Kydex holster mount that goes on the bottom of his vinyl harness. So it actually attaches to the bottom of the vinyl pouch. And with I was able to carry my Glock there, and I was able to carry bear spray in his radio pouch adapter. So, I mean, I had everything on the front of my chest, and, I mean, everyone's probably saying, well, Glock's not going to do much against a grizzly bear. And, I mean, my intention, honestly, for a Glock was, like, that was last resort. If the bear's already gnawing on my arm or my leg, then I'm going to pull out my Glock and do what I, can, what I can do. So I was hoping the bear spray would work. But, I mean, that was actually a sweet setup for dealing with uh, having everything easily accessible. And, you know, you can't wear a handgun on your belt because your backpack rides on your belt line. And then you, if you put a handgun on your belt of your backpack odds are when you need it you probably won't have your backpack on and then you're in a prop in your own type of pickle there so it was a pretty cool little setup to have um and it's something that i'll probably continue to use even in arizona because the way it mounts it's just so hands-free and so out of the way i really liked it awesome man that sounds like a heck of a deal um so do you see yourself going after a yukon moose or alaskan moose I don't know, man. Like, I w- obviously, I like to hunt and I like the adventure. And I mean, those places, those animals live in some amazing places. So I'm, I'm sure somewhere down the road, I will uh, take on that challenge. But man, I, I can't even imagine killing a Yukon moose <laughs> Another in a place. Another thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah, and it's somewhere that you have to pack. I mean, just packing the dang head is a freaking chore. And my bull wasn't even like comparable to a Yukon moose. I mean, I just, it's crazy, but I mean, those guys do it year in and year out, man. It's just, it's unreal how big, I mean, the front quarter on my moose probably weighed 30 or 40 pounds more than a rear quarter on an elk. And it literally, if you cut the knee off or cut the leg at the knee, it was six feet tall. So, I mean, it's sticking, (laughs) 
you know, 24 inches out of the top of your pack. And so <laughs> it's just, it's crazy, man. But I will so tell you what? this. It's the best meat I've ever had. I've is never, it? I've, of anything I've ever killed, it is the best meat I've ever had. I mean, hands down. That's incredible. Good. So, Brian, what's next for you? I don't, uh, I don't have anything lined up right now. I mean, we got obviously turkeys in the spring. Pretty sure my dad's going to draw a gold tag this year. So, should be chasing birds there, chasing birds on the White Mountain Apache, chasing birds on the San Carlos. And I'm sure I'll find my way in a few uh, camps, whether it be sheep camps or. Uh, or some camps on the Strip. I know uh, Breck's going to have one heck of a crew up there on the Strip this year. It could be a lot of fun to be up in that camp. But uh, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll stick to helping people and maybe get out and chase some deer with my bow in December. Awesome, man. Well, it's uh, really cool to hear the whole story from start to finish. And it just sounds like uh, you guys had a heck of a time. And I'm sure those guys were uh, glad that it, probably didn't turn into a 7 or a 10 or a 14-day hunt. I'm sure you're, you're glad you didn't end up uh, shooting one and being up there for a week or so by yourself, just trying to do all that by yourself, I think would have been a big-time challenge. So awesome job. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing those guys and giving them a congratulations. Yeah, man, they were they're, having the right guys on the hunt can be, you know, make it so much more enjoyable and having the right attitudes that's half the battle man but we had a blast and i owe them both so hopefully they can pull something something good and we can go chase something good together yeah sounds good all right man well thanks for coming on and sharing the story i know the listeners are going to really enjoy this one and um yeah uh keep it up and you've you've been knocking them down over the last handful of years, lots of good animals, so just keep it up. Yeah, we'll keep after it. All right, buddy, I'll see you uh, when you get back to Arizona here in a little bit. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. Later, man.